Well, this morning we are continuing with a, a series on Abraham, and even though it is Holy Week, we are going to conclude that series next week on Easter um, with a, a look at how even in the life of the patriarch Abraham and Sarah, the resurrection was foretold, that God was always working. But I don't want to take next week's sermon, so let's go ahead and go with this week's sermon because that's the one that's prepared. Um, today we're looking at leaving a legacy of faith um, in Genesis uh, 23 and 24. Some of us are at that place where we are like kind of thinking about the question, what kind of legacy do we want to leave? Others of us sort of maybe younger and kind of thinking, well, I really wasn't thinking about legacy. I was just kind of thinking about what was for lunch. Uh, But the truth of the matter is we all are actually on a course of leaving behind a legacy. Sometimes that legacy is good and sometimes that legacy can be bad. We've seen that Abraham, uh, while he was still living with his family, was called out of the land he belonged to, uh, out of his family relationships, he and his wife, his nephew, and they left at age 75 on a journey. That journey included the promise of a land that would be his descendants, even when he had no descendants. A promise that God would ultimately give him not only children, but a multitude of children. In fact, multitudes of nations would come from him. In fact, the whole earth would be blessed through Abraham. Today we're going to see that at the end of his life, Abraham was very concerned about how does he make sure that legacy of faith, that response that he had to Jesus, that response that he had to the call of God, would be passed on in his family and passed on in those around him. In Genesis 23, it says this, that Sarah lived to be 127 years old. That's Sarah, Abraham's wife. And then she died. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And so Abram went to mourn for Sarah and weep for her. Verse 3, then Abram rose from, behind, from beside his dead wife, and he spoke to the Hittites. He said, look, I'm a foreigner, and I'm a stranger among you. Sell me some of your property uh, for a burial site so that I can bury my dead. It's a long chapter, and it's a long story, but let me kind of continue this. You'll see a little picture of the, the cave uh, that he actually purchased. He actually went to the Hittites and said, I'm a stranger. I, I've been wandering here. You've known me for a long time. In fact, by this point, um, Abraham's been there about 50 years. He's been there quite a while. He's not really a stranger. I mean, some of you guys moved to Maryland. Anybody have moved to Maryland? We, we did. Uh, <clears throat> it's been 11 years. Is this home yet? I think so, right? Well, if you've been here for a while, it starts becoming home. Abraham had been there for a while. And he goes to people who knew him. In fact, they respond, look, you're like a prince among us. We respect you. You're a good man. You're a good ally. You're a good partner. The people said, of course we will sell you property. Of course. And, and he goes on to say, well, there's a cave. And, and there's a plot of land. It's owned by a guy. Could you maybe intercede for me? Now, the guy's actually sitting right there in the audience, and he's like, you got it. You need a place to bury your, your wife? Absolutely. I'll, I, you know, in fact, I'll just give it to you. I won't even sell it to you. 
I don't think he really meant it. And Abraham knew the cue. He said, no, no, I want to pay for it. And, and they exchanged. They agreed upon a price. And all of the people kind of got together and thought, this is good. And so Ephron sold him the field, verse 17. So Ephron's field in Machpelah, near Marm, uh, both the field and the cave in it and all of the trees and its borders of the field, all of it was deeded to Abraham. It cost him about 400 shekels of silver. I don't know if that's a lot or a little, but it sounds like a, sounds like a pretty high price. But anyway, Abraham was wealthy. God had blessed him, and he pays the price. Abraham, as his property, it was in the presence of the Hittites, had come to the gate of the city and witnessed this. Everybody's spiritually encouraged. You're like, boy, that was just a meaningful story. I don't know. Sometimes I just skim over those parts. But can I tell you today that God has his word, every word in his word, is something for our benefit, something for our growth, something for our encouragement. So what in the world do we learn from uh, a story about getting a burial site for, for Abraham's wife, for Sarah? What could we possibly get this from this? Well, number one, I think it reminds us that we are all mortal. The very first thing we need to remember is that all of us have a limit to our days. There is a day that, that this life is going to be through and the next life will be here. We are all strangers. We are all aliens. Just like Abraham moving through that land, none of this is permanent. None of these things are forever. Our life is forever hidden with Christ. This is a place where we are strangers and aliens. And Peter, the apostle, tells us this in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, look, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Now, he could have just said, since we live before a God who will examine our lives and who will judge our lives, who will judge each person impartially, just live in such a way that God will be pleased. And we know, of course, that our judgment before the Lord, he does say, well, good and done, well done and good, my faithful servant, or there's parts that he will be displeased with. Our salvation does not depend on our works. Our relationship with God does not depend on our works. Our, our permanent spot in eternity does not depend on what we do, but depends on our faith relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus, on this week, we remember died on the cross for our sins and rose again. By putting our faith in him do we have forgiveness and eternal life. So don't be mistaken. But we are given a life to be stewards of, to give in honor of God, to bless the world, to be used. And those works will be sort of evaluated. There will be like, okay, you're in, you're in heaven is yours, eternity is yours, but I want this life to be lived that has honored God. I think those words, you are strangers here, help me keep a perspective. It helps me keep a perspective that, look, what I want out of this life may not really matter. At least it's not as much as I think it does. What I want, what my desires, what my focus needs to be changed so that it's like, no, God, it's your life. This belongs to you. I want you to be glorified. I'm living here as a stranger. I'm living here as a foreigner. My time, my property is really not my own. It belongs to you. How are we living as foreigners? How are we living in light of the fact that eternity is where we really belong? So I think there's a burial site story to remind us that we're mortal. But also, and don't miss this, there's a burial story 
It matters because it challenges us to invest in the future. It challenges us to invest in the future. You see, Abraham was promised by God that this entire land that he would walk on, this entire region, the land of Canaan, what became known as the promised land, would belong to Abraham and his descendants. But at the time of his death, Abraham just owned a cave. Well, and the surrounding field and the trees and that. I mean, he goes on about it. But he, he owned one little plot of land, one little cave. God calls us to a life of faith where we're looking to the future. This story matters. In fact, you'll see the map up here. It wasn't just a cave that he was promised. He was promised an entire landscape. He was, this whole entire region um, along the Mediterranean Sea would all belong to him and his descendants. And God, who is always faithful to all of his promises, ultimately brought that into fulfillment a half a millennia later, 500 years later. The land belongs to his descendants. It wasn't what Abraham saw in his lifetime, but it was what Abraham saw through the eyes of faith. Now, I want to take a break for a second because I think this has something to say to us. There are many of you who have been church members here for quite a while. You have invested your gifts, your time, your energy, sometimes your sweat, sometimes your stress. You have given financially. You have given and you have actually done a marvelous job of, of maintaining both a place and a ministry for years. You didn't just think about the, how it would impact you and your children. It wasn't just for your time period, but you have continually looked forward to what is to come, to how God is going to use this place, how God is going to use lives that you have touched uh, in, for eternity to come. The very first thing when we met with one of the big church revitalization people, because we're going through that revitalization process right now, and we're going to talk about that after service today in our vision meeting. But in that revitalization, the consultant revitalizer guy who does this for lots of churches all around, the first thing he was asked is, what does your church property look like? Is it well kept? Is it well maintained? Or things falling down everywhere? I was like, well, I've got to be honest. It's well maintained. The faithfulness of God's people, even in a time where you could have said, well, yeah, we, we can cut back on that. You have continued to invest, not just for yourself, but really for the future. That's a calling. It's a calling in our lives. Alex and uh, Sarah and uh, Rachel and Susan and I were down working with the graffiti church. Uh, yesterday. We were giving, uh, what were we doing? Crafts and games and dramas and I was Judas Iscariot. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't really think that was the role for me. But anyway, I played Judas Iscariot. Why were we doing this? Because we're looking with eyes to see what God would do in Baltimore. We're, we're working with children that Pastor Charlie has been there for years that are growing up getting tutoring. We're working with people that were here from this church who went to go help plant that church. Who They've bought a building. And if you walk through the building, there's one room that looks nice. And the rest of it looks like a war zone. I mean, it is deconstruction. It is being torn down. It is being ripped apart. But we're seeing progress because, listen, there used to not be one room. <laughs> there used to not be a working bathroom. There used to not be a roof. And now God is, we've seen with eyes of faith what God would do in the city. What has the Lord promised us as a congregation? 
He's promised that he will complete his work in us and through us. The Apostle Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will see it through into completion. We read a story about a burial site because it reminds us that God has called us to invest our lives, invest, which are really his life, invest our belongings, which are really his belongings, invest our time, which is really his time, in his work. Not for us, but for future generations of people. And yet somehow it turns around and blesses our lives. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Go make disciples. Teach them everything I've commanded you. Today we're talking about, in our vision time, about becoming and being and continuing to be a disciple-making church. What does that mean? A disciple-making church is that when we gather for worship here, we're not here just to sing the songs that we like. We're here to worship God and to help others learn how to worship God. When we go out uh, to witness, to share the good news of Jesus, whether it's at a graffiti outreach or it's in our workplace, we are looking for opportunities to proclaim the good news of Jesus everywhere we go. Uh, that, that everything we do ends up being an opportunity to share Jesus. The Rupalts aren't here this morning. They're off uh, with family. But Tim Rupalt had a bunch of people here uh, to talk about some things in the community. And they got to hear the, the John 3.16 book. They got to hear about Jesus. Because if you're coming in this building, you're going to hear about Jesus. We're thrilled that you get to use the place for whatever governmental decisions need to be made. But we want everyone to have a chance to hear. Now, it wasn't pushy. It wasn't pressure. It was just like, hey, welcome. Here's some snacks. Here's some. And we, because we want everybody to know that God loves them. And it, but God has opened up a door for me almost daily for his, for his message to be proclaimed. It's happening right now. Whether you're at the doctors, you're at the workplace, you're picking up kids at school, God is at work in our word, in our Bible study. He's supposed to not say witness twice. It's supposed to say word. I messed that one up. Um, but in our word, in our Bible study, we're teaching people how to know God, how to study his word, how to hear his voice. Today, this morning, uh, one of our gentlemen who was here who had to go to be with his wife uh, was here early to pray and just said this. He said, you know how God speaks to you from, your, from his word? I'm like, there it is. He told me the story about how he came to Christ and how at first he didn't understand any of the Bible, how at first he didn't understand it. But over time, through the discipleship, he began to understand how God is speaking, how God uses his word. And finally, we're going to be talking about how even in our work as a church, God has called us to make disciples. That in everything we do at all times, this becomes our process. It, it, it's interesting, I'm reminded today um, a little bit more about how our campus ministries have an influence. How our college work has an influence. You know, here was this event that Pastor Charlie and a few people are trying to put down in graffiti. 23 of the volunteers that made that happen came from, well, here, we had our five. But there were six from Stevenson. There were five from Towson. There was another seven from UMBC. They God put, I mean, 23 of the volunteers were from our college ministry work. 
that God is investing in these young people. And one of them said, you know, I don't live too far from here. Maybe I could help with the summer camp. We're seeing that investment in the future. Disciples are being made. People are growing in their walk with Jesus as we're passing it on. I'm just going to say it. Daryl Cook's a friend of mine. Uh, He's from Virginia Tech. All of you guys were impacted by his ministry, and you're all sitting right together over there on that side. That's kind of cool. It's like an investment in people. I don't want to be embarrassed, but I I love the fact that the the people investing in people make a difference in our world. How do we become that as a church? And how does a cave remind us to do that? Because the cave reminds us that we're investing our time, our energy, our money, our lives in the future of people. Well, we need to go on with the story because I get stuck on a point and we need to move forward because here's what happens in the rest of the story. Genesis 24, moving to the next chapter. Abraham, now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. Here's what it says, verse 2. He said to his senior servant um, who was in his household, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and he- of the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son uh, among the daughters of the Canaanites, but you will go to my country, you will go to my relatives, and, and, and you're going to get a wife from, for Isaac, for his son. Abraham has now had this son, uh, the son of the promise, and he wants to get a wife for him. Verse 5, the, sermon, the servant's starting to scratch his head like, okay, I'm supposed to go like... <clears throat> Pretty far. I and mean, this is not like down the street. You want me to travel days, maybe a month or so, I mean, over to like where modern day Syria is, even a little bit beyond. You want me to go all the way back there and somehow just find your family. <clears throat> There's no phone book. There's no Google Maps. There's no looking up. How am I supposed to find your family out there? And then when I get there, you know what the request is. <clears throat> Any of you ladies want to go uh, meet this young man? I'm telling you, he's good looking, he's nice, it's going to be great. Just find a, find a wife that way? How's that going to work out? How's that going to happen? And the servant begins to ask, what if this doesn't work out? What if she won't come back? What if she's like, yeah, I'll be his wife, but we're going to live here next to my family. We're going to live here in my hometown. We're not going back. Do you want me to take Isaac? If this is your priority, Abraham, that his, your, his wife of your son would come from your relatives, would come from people that you know and trust, if that's your priority, if she won't come back, do you want me to take Isaac back to Haran, back to Aram, back to the land of your ancestors? Look at Abraham's answer. No, make sure that you don't take my son back here. He's beginning to leave, or he's leaving that legacy of faith. No, don't go back to the old life. No, don't go back to where God has brought us out from. No, don't go back there because this is the place that God has called us to move forward. This is the place that God has called us to the new days. This is where the future is. And then Abraham says this in verse 7. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on an oath, to your offspring I will give this whole land. And after 25 years, I didn't think I was going to actually have a son. And then I had the son, so I'm convinced. He promised me on oath to this this land, I'm going to give it to your offspring. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. 
Abraham is convinced that this is part of God's plan, that God will lead the way, that where God is guiding, God is going to provide. What God has promised, God will fulfill, that God is going to bring about a reality in his life that he can have confidence that the Lord is going to orchestrate the events to bring it about. Brothers and sisters, this is the one I struggle with. This is the point that I think I need to take to heart. Because very often I'll think, I think this is really what God has for us. I believe that this is where God is guiding. I believe this is how it's... And then I can't see how it's going to work out. Oh, I might take those initial steps, but then those doubts come, right? Then that insecurity comes. Then the how is this ever going to, where are, where are the resources? Where are the plans? How is it going to come together? I told you the story about moving here about my wife, and, and we came from Syracuse, and, and she really was convinced, and God had convinced me as well that it was time for us to make this move. And she came to visit Towson University, and she came back on the airplane. She's like, this is it. Now, we had the decision chart of all the different places and the pluses and minuses and why all the different schools we could go to in different places God might be leading us. And, we, and I was grieving. I didn't want to leave, but okay, I'll do it. And we were going through this big prayer time, and we had the whole, okay, and, and we're going to analyze it and rationally figure it all out. God, where are we supposed to be? And, and she just comes back and says, I found it. And when God convinces you, we'll go. I mean, it's not, it's not like we're not going. She was like, we're, we're going. It's just, it's just, when God finally convinces you this is where we're going, this is where we're going. She was 100% sure. I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, we prayed. We prayed. Okay, I think this is it. Okay, and I took those initial steps of faith. But I'll tell you what, then the doubts came. How's it going to work out? Will God have anything for me to do there? Or am I just going to be just working just some, any job that doesn't even, am I going to leave the ministry that God had called me to and go to a place that I don't even know there's going to be anything? And I told her, I said, I don't want to just be your trophy husband. Yeah, she, she laughed too. <clears throat> she decided that, no, 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 you don't have to worry about it. You're not going to be the trophy. Okay. And yet, when I got immediately, God began to open the doors and I could see his hand. That where he was leading me, he was leading her. Where he was leading her, he was leading me. What God had promised, God will fulfill. That God has called us and given us everything we need for life and for godliness. That God has called us to make disciples. That God has called us to have fruitful lives wherever he would plant us. And if he is uprooting and replanting us somewhere else, he has something for us. His angel goes before us. I don't know if it's an actual angel but I know it's the presence of the Lord who literally goes before us to prepare a way for the works that he has for us to do. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the works that he's laid out for you to do. If God has placed you here in this church, that is for you to grow, for you to flourish, but also for you to do the work that God has called you to do. Well, when the servant got here, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the rest of the story. The servant arrives, and he kind of has this little deal with God. He's like, I don't know where these people are, but I'm just thinking this is about the right area, and there's a well. And he kind of makes this deal with God, like, hey, God, um, <clears throat> if a young woman walks up to me, I'm going to say, hey, could you get me a drink of water? And if she says something like, yeah, and I'll water your camels as well, I mean, that's a lot of extra work. That shows some good character there. Maybe that's the one. Anybody ever looking for the one? 
That's what we need. We need a sign on there that's the one. Like, if they say on their uh, ChristianMingle.com page, if they use this phrase, then I'll know that that's the one for me. You know what I'm saying? We need, we need some kind of, like, signal. Like, how do we know? Well, he worked out sort of this, like, signal. Ask God to do this. Well, sure enough, this young lady, Rebecca, walks up, and, and he says, um, young lady, could you uh, maybe give me a drink of water? And she's like, sure. And you know what? It, obviously, you're on a long journey. Let me go ahead and draw some water out for your camels as well. And he's like, oh, my goodness, it worked. <laughs> All right. And he's like, so, so um, just, just asking, um, who's your family? Who are your relatives? And she begins to say, well, this is my father and my grandfather, and this is my family and my clan. He's like, that's my master's, that's Abraham's clan. And it says the man bowed down, in verse 26, the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord, saying, praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness or his faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on this journey uh, to, my, to the house of my master's relatives. Do you see the legacy of faith? Do you see how Abraham's belief, how Abraham's faith had this impact on this household servant, this trusted steward? So now the steward's seeing God's provision. The steward's seeing how God had gone before him. Our faith makes an impact. Our faith in our testimonies and our stories make an impact in the lives of others as we are able to tell to our children, our grandchildren, to our co-workers those stories of faith, those stories of God's faithfulness, those stories of him answering the prayers. What are the stories that you're accumulating? What are the stories that you're sharing? This became an impact in the steward's life. Well, in verse 20, 32, it says this. So the man went to the house, and to the camels were unloaded. Uh, he's gone to Rebekah's home, to the house of the, the, sort of the family homes. It says straw and fodder were brought for the camels and water to, for him and for his men to wash their feet. Food was set before him, and immediately the steward says, but I will not eat until I've told you what I have to say. Laban uh, says this. Um, Tell us. And so he says, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly. He's become wealthy. He's given him sheep and cattle, silver, gold, male, female servants, camels and donkeys. My wife's my master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her old age. And she he has given him everything he owns. And my master made me swear an oath, and he said, You must get a, not get a wife from among the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I live, but go to my father's family, to my own clan, and get a wife for my son. He says, When I came to the spring today, I said, Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you will, please grant success to the journey which I've come. See, I'm standing here beside this spring. If a young woman comes out to draw water and I say, please give me a little water from your jar, and she says, drink, and I'll draw water for your camels too, let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. And before I had finished praying, don't miss that. Before I had finished praying, before I had finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out, and with her jar on her shoulder, she went down to the spring and drew water and said, please, may I give me a drink. Before he had finished this prayer to the Lord in his heart, God had already given his answer. God had already orchestrated events. 
How many times do we lack faith? How many times are we missing that opportunity to go to share, uh, to go to trust the Lord? How many times are we doubting that the Lord is hearing our prayers? Verse 46, she quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, I'll give you, give you waters for your camels too. So I drank and she watered the camels. And I bowed down and worshiped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who led me on the right road. Who led me on the right road. How many of you can testify that God has given you directions? That God has led you in those times of indecision. That God has brought you to these places of blessing. That God has brought these fulfillment. How many times has God led you on the right road? Some of you today are looking back at some many journeys with the Lord. Some of you are looking at some roads that you took that weren't from the Lord, and you know where those ended up. Some of you are looking ahead to the journey of life and thinking, where do I go? How do I figure it out? Our God is faithful to show us the right road. It's we who are often unfaithful to follow. As we go forward here um, in this story, I I think it has a message for us in the church. We've got to find God's right road. Today we're going to be talking about some things uh, in our vision day to say, I think these are the right steps. But it's really for us as a church to say, is this the right step? Is this the where the Lord is leading? God, we want to follow. We want to obey. One verse 24, he says, now if you'll show kindness and faithfulness to my master, please tell me. If not, tell me so I may know which way to turn. Laban and Bethuel uh, answered, this is from the Lord. Look at that in verse 50. This is from the Lord. These relatives of Abraham who we're going to see later in the story, they worshiped other gods. They weren't always faithful to the Lord. They may not have known the Lord like Abraham did. These uh, family members were impacted by the faith of Abraham being passed through his servant. And they're like, look, this is obviously from the Lord. We can't say anything to one way or the other. Here's Rebecca, take her and go. Uh, she used to become the wife of your master's son as the Lord directed. Nobody seemed to ask Rebecca, but hey, I guess, it's, I guess it's good with her too. Here we go. You know, it's important that we're together as a church family. It's important that we spend this time together, that we're worshiping together. But I know right now with COVID, people have to be away. And sometimes many of you are having to make choices, and you're making choices to be with grandchildren or others. You will never hear me fuss about that. And I'll tell you why. Because it's important that we're with our children or our grandchildren. It's important that we spend time with our families when we need to run and be at events. It's important. Why? Because those are those opportunities when we're able to tell those stories about the Lord who, who's at work in our lives. They're the opportunities where our family members can say, my grandma knew the Lord. There are opportunities where we can be that witness to our parents, to our family members, to our brothers and sisters. You'll never hear me fuss about someone saying, yeah, I can't be at this church event because I'm ministering to my family. Because there are times that we need to, and are called to minister to those who are really closest in relative, close in relationship to us. Take the woman and go, this is from the Lord. Well, the rest of the story goes, they kind of had a good night, they had a nice meal, they took a nap, uh, had a good night's rest, and up in the morning, uh, the servant is ready to go. Well, you said we can go, Rebecca, let's load up the camels, we're heading out. 
And the family members were like, whoa, 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 whoa. We said she can go with you, but let's take a little time here. We're saying goodbye to our beloved sister and daughter and cousin. And take about 10 days. Hang out here. We'll have some parties. We'll have some marriage. She can say goodbye to everybody. We'll say goodbye to her. Just, take a, just settle down. You're going to get to go in a little while. And the servant was, oh, no, 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 no. Don't, don't make me wait. The Lord has given us success. We've got a long journey back. This is from the Lord. We just can't wait. We need to go forward. We need to go now. Well, to settle the matter, they said, well, let's call the young woman and ask her about it. Well, I'm glad she finally got asked something about her life. Um, she gets asked about it in verse 58. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. I will go. So what is, what is this story about finding a wife? Why does this matter uh, to us? Well, number one, it challenges us to lay a legacy of faith, to lay in the lives of others those stories, those places where God has known, that faith in Jesus Christ, even the stories of our failures, because we know that even our failures point to our need of Jesus and the need for forgiveness in him. And finally, this story reminds us that there is a call to respond in faith. A call to respond to God's call in faith. When he says go, we got to go. When he says rise up and move, we got to move. When he says trust in my son Jesus for salvation, well, that does become your choice. Will you trust in him? Will you say yes to Jesus? Some of you, maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never asked him for forgiveness. You've never made him your savior. You've never made him Lord and God of your life so that you would go where he wants you to go and have your life really be in his hands. But then others of us, oh yeah, we said yes for salvation, but we so often say no for the daily decisions. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. God said a certain day, calling it today. He did this a long time later, and he spoke through David, as the passage says that was already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Today, if you don't know Jesus, don't harden your heart. Today, if you don't know Jesus, would you say yes? Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. You've paid for my sins. How could I say no to you? Would you respond to Jesus? Today, God may be calling you to say, look, this church needs to be the church that I'm a part of. I'm called to be here to help this church revitalize, help this church restart. I need to use my gifts, my talents. I'm part of the future that others have invested in. God is calling me to place my life here for maybe a year, maybe two years, maybe for much longer. But God is calling me here. If God is calling you, you say yes. Or maybe... God is calling you to some new challenge, something that we don't know anything about, but that you're willing, and you don't even know what it's about, but you just need to say, yes, Lord, use me in my family, use me with my neighbors, use me in my workplace. God, help me be that disciple maker of your son wherever you place me. I'm going to be at the front. If you need to respond publicly in some way, maybe you're deciding to follow Jesus, maybe you want to join this church, maybe uh, you just know what God is calling you to do and need prayer, would you respond? I, I'll be here. I'll be happy to pray with you. Or right where you are, you answer God's call. The music team's going to come and lead us in a song, a song of response. This is your opportunity to respond to him. Let's pray together as they come.
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that every part of the story teaches us something, teaches us about our mortality, teaches us about your call and your love, teaches us how to spread the good news of your stories uh, of faith and your story about your son, most importantly, to the world around us. God, help us know your direction. Continue to show us the right road and give us faith and courage to respond. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.